with the word of prayer. <clears throat> and we're looking again at 1 Corinthians, and it'll be chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word, for the instruction that we receive from it, and we pray, Lord, that that instruction would be clear to us, to me as teaching, and to uh, the congregation as they hear. And Lord, that you would work that uh, wisdom in us that is well-pleasing to you. And we again ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're in chapter 2. Last week we uh, focused in on verses 1 uh, through uh, 5 and a couple of the verses from the preceding chapter. And uh, today we're going to just be looking at verse 6 to 16 of chapter 2. And so I'd like to begin by reading from there. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. I think this is a particular section that I find uh, uh, extremely amazing. Um, it is a profound uh, section because it talks about how it is that we receive the instruction of God. 
It's about how we understand it, how we can, how we can understand it. And its most basic form and its most technical form. Both are clearly addressed in this. And again, Paul was speaking in chapter one as he introduced to the, his letter to the, to the Corinthian church. And he particularly points out, he, he assures them of their salvation. And then he points out immediately one issue, which is division. And that division was because people were aligning themselves uh, and it's, there's a strong case that can be made, I think we made it, that a lot of the division was associated with knowledge. It was associated with the presentation. It was associated with Apollos and his fine speech, and Paul and his crude speech, as he speaks about that in this section right before we just read, that he did not determine to know anything, he came in weakness, his speech was not uh, eloquent, and he was not persuasive in terms of human words or human wisdom. And so we come to this section now where he says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So as we think about this, Again, we want to consider um, that, again, what Paul says in verse 5, right above that, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, and now he is going to, and again, we talked about this some, but now he's going to expand that discussion. And he's going to uh, teach us something here about how we actually learn, how we actually understand uh, the gospel. And the heart of it is that God reveals the gospel. He reveals his word. How? Through the Holy Spirit. And what is, and I know I've made this point at least 20 times, uh, what is the clearest manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit that we have? Not faith. The Bible, right? Okay, so, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit more uh, later on. But the scriptures are given to us by the Holy Spirit working through men and working through them where they are in life uh, and, and, and oftentimes in the circumstances that they face. Um, and as we talked also about the scriptures and I pointed to the Westminster Confession of Faith and how that all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. That there is also a rule that when we are reading the Scripture and we have doubt and we have questions, 
the first source that we look to to resolve that is the scriptures themselves. We compare scripture with scripture. And again, that's also literally said in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we also know that scripture uh, requires some responsibility in interpreting it. We need to know and we need to understand. We need to be taught in the scriptures. The scriptures are not a mystery, mystery in that, you can, again, you can just open up to any passage, begin reading a couple of handful of verses, and understand what the scriptures say. They require, I'm going to use the word rigorous, study. Now, oftentimes we think of rigorous study as being something that happens in seminary. And that's true, if it's the right seminary. <laughs> but it also pertains to us, even as we do personal Bible reading. Okay? Your Bibles have references. They reference passages that are alike or similar. Um, never, I don't think, uh, before this time have we had more tools to study the Bible in the most basic form in terms of looking at topics that the scriptures address and where other, in other places that we can find them. And again, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit more about that. So what I'm after here today is wisdom. What is wisdom? What is this wisdom that Paul speaks to us about? And his first statement is here that he speaks to those who are mature. Um, what, does it, what does that mean? Mature in the Lord. If you look at the entire population of the world, and we say those who are mature, what are we probably talking about? Old people. All, all the people are old. old people. Old people, yeah. But I'm talking about from our perspective. <laughs> That's definitely how the world sees it. <laughs> the mature are those that can't get up and walk. Um, <laughs> wise people that's it it's actually those who are in the Lord period according to Calvin that word which is teleos in Greek also has a sense of perfect also has a sense of complete so it's not saying you have so many degrees in learning. It's not, it's not, when Paul says that those who are mature, he's not talking about a range of maturity. He's talking about those who are mature in the faith. And you can see that because he says, yet not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So there's the comparison. 
the mature and those who are following after the wisdom of the world. Okay, so it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty strong case to say that this mature here is speaking about believers. Okay, and we all know that there's growth in believers, there's gaining more knowledge and so forth. But here it is much more, it's in contrast to those who are, again, seeking the wisdom of this age. And he says, we speak a wisdom, in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. What is this? What's he saying here? What is the mystery? Adam? And that's the, that's the heart of it right there. The mystery is that this is an understanding that's coming from outside of ourselves. We didn't just simply deduct. If A, then B must mean equals C. We, we didn't do it that way. It's, it's a revealed knowledge. Now, he goes on immediately, though, to say um, that it's also hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of, for our glory. Okay, so we have this wisdom. It's a mystery. We, it's, it's not, uh, you know, an obvious apparent thing. You know, it's sometimes um, when you get into the realm of apologetics, and apologetics sounds fancy word, but it means apology. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but this is what I am, okay? <laughs> and that's the heart of it, you know? And we go up to somebody and we say, you know, let's say that they, they've, they've just gone down the skid road way of life, you know? They've been beaten down, they've been abused, they've been used, they've been, every, every mean, nasty possible thing could have happened to them. And you go to them and you say, you know, the reason you did that is because of sin. And you should, of all people, clearly be able to see the effects of sin and that this is not what God planned for your life, but this is sin. And there should be no argument because it's obvious you've been, you've experienced it firsthand. So there, I just told you the gospel, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Now, if you want to know what to do about the sin, then we'll go on, okay? But first, you've got to understand your sin. And, if, and, and I can lay out some of the fanciest arguments to show that a person is sinful, even the arguments that Paul gives us in Romans 7. I know that what I did was wrong, but I did it anyway. 
Okay, well, why did we do that? Why do we do that? We know the right and we choose the wrong. And that's sin. Okay, and we, under, we comprehend that. And we kind of think sometimes we go and speak to those in the world about that and they look at us kind of half cross-eyed, not too sure. I think I have, I'm, oh, my phone's ringing. I know you don't hear it, but it's on, it's on buzzer, you know. And they're gone. And they don't want to discuss it. They run away from it. And the reason for that is because, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age knew, or had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the greatest example of sin is you took a man who was perfect, had not sinned, it's several accounts of, it, of, of guards that say there was nothing wrong with him. Caesar, there's nothing wrong with him. I can't find anything wrong with him. Crucify him. Okay? A requirement for the death penalty, having lived perfect. It's unimaginable. Okay? And yet, that is the sin that we're speaking of. And that is the mystery. The mystery is, why didn't those people who crucified him see it? And oh, by the way, they were predominantly Jews who had the teaching of the Old Testament all their life. But they didn't see it. They didn't understand it. They didn't comprehend it. And so we come to verse 9 and 10, which is kind of more of my focus here. I think we, can, we may get through to the end here. We'll see. Um, I, I did a little handout, and uh, I posted it on our Facebook page, if you saw it. Um, and it's just really just to highlight uh, what is being said here. And verse 9. First of all, verse 9 is a quote, and it is a quote from Isaiah, and it's also uh, partly a quote from uh, Job. We find similar in, in Job. So it's Isaiah 9 and verse 6, and um, I think that's right. Let's see. No, I, excuse me, Isaiah 64 and verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. Now this phrase here in verse 9 also adds, uh, nor have entered into the heart of man. And apparently that was a common phrase that the Jews uh, used. Um, and um, I'm not really going to try to explain that any more than that, except that Paul does pick that up. He does that, you don't find that in this passage, but everything else is there. So eye is not seen nor ear heard, 
nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And so my little handout shows a, an arrow with a line through it, which means not. <laughs> okay. And uh, that it, the arrow is entering, and the line is saying it cannot enter the heart. Okay, this is a heavy theological thing here, right? It, it cannot enter the heart. And the thing that cannot enter the heart is the very thing which God has prepared for those who love him. Which is, uh, again, there's some question as to whether this is speaking about the mature, the complete, the believer, or is it speaking of all mankind? And I think we can say both in this case. Um, but I think the emphasis of it here is that you, we, without the work of God, without the Spirit of God working in us, we cannot see. We can't hear. We can't understand. Not only basics of salvation, but also the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Which again is speaking of specifically of those who love him, of believers. But the world, again, can't understand even where their own course is going apart from the Spirit of God. And verse 10 says, But God has revealed to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So God has revealed them. He's revealed this information to us. He's revealed the application to us. He's revealed sanctification, justification, glorification to us through his spirit. You know, we can learn many, many things, and yet it hasn't entered our heart. And again, I go back to where, how does the Holy Spirit do this? How does God do this? And the clearest thing is that he works through his word. And on the little handout I posted, I cite 2 Peter 1 and 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, that the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. And Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner, a discerner, of thoughts and intents 
of the heart. It not only communicates as that it can't before, we're talked about how it can't enter the heart. But now we're saying not only does it enter the heart by the Spirit, but it goes piercing, it goes dividing soul and spirit, it goes dividing joint and marrow, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it is explosive. It's not just a stab or a pinch or a prick. It is a going in and cleaning out. It is a redefining. It is discerning. When we think about the word discerning, what are we thinking about? Thinking, right? When you're discerning something, you're thinking. You're, think, you're weighing things out, and you're, you're making determinations. Well, the Holy Spirit is actually giving us the ability to make those determinations, to, to make those uh, judgments. And then from there, and I'm trying to get through all this, because I think this whole passage here goes together, after saying that, Paul says, For what man knows the things except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So we are dependent on this dividing word. This word that comes and, and opens up and reveals the truth of God. We're dependent on it. Because no one understands God except by that spirit, that spirit that opens up, that reveals. And again, that revelation through the word of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world. And now he's going to again go back to this discussion about the wisdom that comes from the world that he might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. And we went over and I tried hard to define completely as we could uh, what that means, man's wisdom, how it's self-centered, how man's wisdom is, is wisdom that basically only sees what's in front of them. It's experiential, and based on that, he makes his determinations. And we're not doing that. So it's not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Spiritual things with spiritual. Doesn't that sound a lot like what the Westminster Confession was saying regarding the Word of God. And when we look at a passage and it's a little confusing, what do we do? We go to another part of it to get that answer. Tim.
absolutely. It does very much, and it's and it goes to the heart of it. So as we learn the scriptures, as we grow in our knowledge, we are more confident of the very truth that has been revealed to us. Because this revelation continues. We continue to grow in knowledge. I mean, I became a Christian in the, I won't give the date, but it was 70s. Okay. And I can tell you I know a little more than what I did then. My practice is still being worked on, but in terms of my growth and knowledge and study, um, and I've had some experience in formal classrooms studying the scriptures, but there are far more time probably just reading and going through and looking at commentaries as, we, as Tim brought up with Calvin. And, and there's many other, again, resources that we have available. But it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort. And why would we do such a thing? How could we do anything less? Could we do anything less? The Spirit, that's the means by which the Spirit of God reveals it the truth to us, okay? And that's what Paul is saying, okay? So if Paul just sat down and was a brilliant Pharisee and just came up with all of this on his own, it wouldn't be in this book, okay? It's because the Spirit of God does reveal these things does teach these things, that we are encouraged to grow. Now, I can honestly tell you, I don't know why when you become a Christian, God doesn't just have this huge funnel he puts on your head and dumps it all in. And then we know, and we know everything. And we don't need any more knowledge. And there are some passages that actually sound like that, and Paul uses some of those. But there he's talking about the actual understanding salvation, understanding grace, understanding the gospel itself. But as those who are in the gospel, we also have a commitment that we need to make. And why do we make a commitment to study the word? Because it's a gift of God. Because it's been granted to us to have it. Uh, and again, in, in our day and age, I mean, literally, I can carry, I do carry, the Bible on my cell phone. And, you know, that would have been great years back. And Jay's been carrying all these commentaries around for years, you know, and now he can just pull up his cell phone and look at it, okay? <laughs> it wouldn't be as strong, though, you see. <laughs> okay, and so what I'm saying is, is there should, there's a thirst here that I'm driving. There is a thirst to understand the scriptures. That is the focus of our life in the congregation, 
in, as we relate to one another. Uh, I mean, this is, it's so important and so significant for us to see this is the means by which God communicates to us. And we, if we really believe the salvation that has been granted to us, should have a tremendous thirst for this word, a tremendous desire to have this in our hearts, recognizing we can't just do it. This Holy Spirit needs to do it. So as we study, we do something else. We pray. We pray for God to direct us, for God to lead us, for God to show us. And sometimes God puts things in front of us. And it may be in the form of a, of a Bible encyclopedia. It may be in the form of a dictionary. It may be in the form of a Greek text or the challenge to learn these things. And one of the things that I think where the church has often uh, fallen short is we have kind of institutionalized, and this isn't a hard critic, I understand how it happened, but we put things on a seminary level, and, and that is for certain people, and then we have this other level particularly in today's world where most of the schools are, are colleges are not Christian colleges. There's a few that make it to the Christian college. I experienced both. And, um, and it's, a, it's a tremendous benefit to be able to, I took a three credit course on 2 Corinthians. Um, that was uh, you just don't find that one in Penn State's list of courses and options. Okay, at least I haven't found it. And so we have this knowledge available to us. And what I'm saying is we oftentimes put, um, you know, that kind of knowledge of, uh, of theology, of doctrine, of Hermeneutics, which is nothing more than a fancy word for how do, I, how do I interpret the Bible? What are the rules? Are there any rules? And where do the rules come from? Hopefully they come from the Bible, which they do. Okay? But I learn more and more and more. And the more I learn, the more I apply myself to doing that. And I know what it is to work 40 hours, well, maybe sometimes 30 hours, but I work for the government. Um, that was a joke now, uh, okay. <laughs> no, I worked, you know, I, had, I didn't, I was never a paid pastor, okay? But it should not stop us from committing to study, committing to understanding, committed to um, praying that God would open up these things to us. And we, and in doing that, comprehending, as it says in, um, well, from verse 13, these things we also speak not in words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That very thing we were talking about earlier. But he who is spiritual judges all things. We do make judgments. But what's the basis of our judgments? The word of God. God, Not our own hearts. Not our own feelings. Not our own thinking. And we have to be very careful in that realm. Because we are called to judge. We do make judgments. That's what it says here. And then you have people that run to the passages that says, do not judge. Well, that is speaking of a different kind of judgment. Because if I'm using this to make a judgment, am I judging? No. God's judging. That's what we're called to do. We no longer live. Christ lives in us. And here, to me, is is just a mind-boggling verse. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We are not in a position to tell God what. It sounds so simple. It even sounds stupid to even try it. But I think we often fall into that. We often think we know what God needs to do. And we don't. We really don't. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is fully consistent with his word. And as we grow in knowledge, and as we continue to uh, um, wrestle with these things, and it's not all easy. Sometimes it's downright confusing. But don't stop. Keep praying. Keep studying. Keep reading. Keep immersing yourself in God's word. There is no greater blessing that will come upon the church than a church that is about the word of God. The whole Reformation occurred because somebody found the scrolls, if I could put it that way. Somebody rediscovered the word of God. You know, it, just was, it wasn't just Luther. There were men in Scotland and England and, and, and in Bavaria and all kinds of places that reopened those books and began to learn. couple other passages and then conclude. Psalm 40 and verse 5. Many, O Lord, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. And Joshua 22 and 22, verse 22. 
the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. Again, it's easy to begin to think that we have knowledge apart from God, particularly regarding the scriptures. And, and given the passage, it, we have to see how absurd it is that we should think of ourselves as the source. We have a, a need to be in constant prayer, to search God's word, uh, to labor in his word, to test our thinking against the God-revealed truth. And if we find ourselves in conflict with the teaching of Scripture, we need to repent. We need to turn from that. We need to throw off our thinking and adopt God's thoughts expressed again in his word. end on that. Any, any other thoughts? Adam? Absolutely. Danny? That's, that's what the intent is normally. Uh, but oftentimes it, it can be trying to set up an argument and actually looking, trying to use a, one human argument to defeat another human argument. And that's where it's not impossible to do. Um, but sometimes that type of, a, of approach just has a much less effect. Because if behind that we are not in prayer and prepared to take on the same issue that we're addressing from the word. Okay, this is what the word says. So... A lot of times apologetics kind of loses that context of the word of God, I think. Uh, not, uh, and that's not to, to say it's a bad study or anything. It, it has its place. Uh, Jay? Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it just can, it can move that way so quickly. Um, but it, it has a place.
That's absolutely true. You, we, can, we can do all the study, and we can do all the memorizing, but um, that's, that does not imply that the Spirit of God has entered the heart. And so we are dependent upon God. And that is when, when we, though, approach the Scriptures with that mind, it, it's a night and day difference. All right, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. And, uh, and, and again, I, this is a, a foundation that the, the apostle is laying, and he's going to begin dealing with a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. And this is one of the things he's, he's trying to drive. It's not him who's going to correct. It's God's word that ultimately brings the correction needed. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we give you thanks and praise that you do indeed reveal yourself to us through your word, a mystery, a hidden wisdom, uh, which you have ordained um, that was even established uh, before anything uh, came into being in terms of the creation itself. Lord, we thank you that you do uh, enter, that you do bring the sword to us, that you do uh, cause us to be a discerner of truth and falsehood. And we pray that you would uh, continue to bless us as we are subject still, nonetheless, to the flesh, to the temptations of the world, to the temptations around us. Lord, that you would uh, keep us, and again, that you would uh, instruct us continually in your word that we might truly be grateful and assured of the work that you have accomplished. And we pray this in Christ's name. And we ask also that you would uh, bless our pastor as he brings us the word, that you would uh, keep him, that you would guard his heart and open our hearts to the words that you would have him to speak, that you would bless our time as we think about uh, your dying and suffering on our behalf and looking forward to that day of your return as we celebrate your supper. We ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen.